the book started as a question. And then I embarked on a journey to ask other people, look into research, like what what is all this about? And that is a result. So in many ways, John, I will say I wrote the book for myself. It's self-coaching as much as I truly want to share with all the other people who are ambitious and goal-oriented and are convinced like I was that you got to do this, that and the other to get there. And that the whole point of the book is not really. There is an alternative and you don't have to burn yourself out on the way to being successful. On this episode of the Creator Community, we'll meet Ginny Upple, a corporate strategist turned executive coach and now author. We'll learn how Ginny discovered the power of overcoming her own bias for action and how by focusing on inaction and reflection has led her and many others to strong results in business. We'll follow Ginny's journey of flipping the script on words that have carried a negative connotation for years, like mind-wandering and procrastination, and see how these words can lead us to produce better outcomes in life and careers, and how these thoughts have led her to publishing her new book, In Action, Rethinking the Paths of Results. Check out the show. Welcome to the third season of The Creator Community. This is a podcast series from book publisher, New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Forward Advisory Solutions. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, 2021, New Degree Press will cross over 1,000 published authors. In this show, we get to know the authors and their books, as well as give you a behind-the-scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from idea to being available wherever you buy books online. It's no easy task, nothing worth it ever is, but with solid structure, coaching, and community, it's very much attainable. Today, I have with me Ginny Upple. She's no stranger to driving contrary and innovative thinking. Upple's 20 plus years of experience leading transformational growth by challenging existing norms in business is key to her success with working with Fortune 500 telecom, e-commerce, and retail companies. Most recently, she did work as vice president of strategy at a $12 billion North American retailer and is now an author of her new book, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. Ginny's book is due out this December, 2021, wherever you buy books online. Ginny, welcome to the show. It is so good to be here, John, and thank you for having me. Really a, really a pleasure to have you here today. So before we get into the book, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you, Ginny. You know, where are you from and how'd you find your way from right, India, as, as I think I know, to corporate America in a strategy career and now author, consultant, and speaker? What was that journey like for you? It has been an interesting journey for sure. I grew up in Bombay. It's now called Mumbai. And I moved to the United States for a grad degree in computer science, and I stayed on, and here I am. My professional journey, as well as my personal journey, has, in retrospect, been quite nonlinear. I've made a few jumps and pivots. For example, I moved from telecom to e-commerce in the mid-2000s. I became a management consultant, and I traveled the length and breadth of this country. And then 2016, I pivoted from technology to business strategy, and as I speak to you today, I'm in the middle of another pivot. We shall see where this goes. But I wrote my first nonfiction book called In Forward Slash Action, Rethinking the Path to Results, which is going to be out in December. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm excited to share some insights with your readers and listeners. Well, thank you for that uh, background. And thinking about this nonlinear journey, I feel like there's this common theme of strategy 
but certainly as a, now an author, this creative spirit within you, right? I'm curious, one, how did you get into strategy? How did that get on your radar screen? Uh, you know, the, the word strategy is pretty loaded and there is a connotation I think everybody has. It's a very broad term. Strategy simply means you want to go in a certain direction. In my case, say I was working with a retail company and we wanted to grow because e-commerce came and you know hammered the industry. And the job of a strategy person really is to decide where are you going to go? What bets are you going to make? And how are you going to get there? Because the best ideas die in execution. So even though strategy sounds it's different from execution, but it really isn't. The fact that I have a computer science and technology background helped me position myself to use technology at first to drive disruptive innovation in companies. And because I've always been very interested on the business side, like how does a company make money? How do you do marketing? And that was just my interest. So I kept gravitating towards those roles. So my journey has been, like I said, nonlinear. I did engineering for a while. Then I did something called product management. Then I became a management consultant. I took a sabbatical because I actually wanted to go work with you know artisans and really get into the depth of how products are made. That's helped me in my journey to get from engineering execution to finally doing strategy work. And in many ways, that helped me in my book development journey because Book writing, as you know, you're an author yourself, John. Writing a book is one thing. Getting it published and getting it read is a whole other ballgame. So a lot of that did help me, although I did have to learn a lot of new things in this journey as well. That's where the coaching and community can be a big part of this. So I I like this this thread of strategy, strategic-minded, and marrying that with creativity sounds like a pretty powerful combination for a, a business entrepreneur, a business leader, a consultant, and now now certainly a official creative, right? Have you found any connections between this business background you have and now this creative journey and any synergies you found there? I actually applied a lot of what I've learned in my business background in the book, and I applied the learnings in my own journey as a book author and a pub, and somebody who's published a book. So in my strategic background, what I have learned is, and because I have a technology background, I was always the one to use something that was unusual, an atypical idea, a disruptive way of thinking to lead to results. In any business, there is a normal playbook. There is, there is one way of doing the business that you can repeat over and over and become successful. But when technology came along and disrupted everything, it was difficult for a lot of companies where I work for them to accept some of the ideas that I was bringing, which were contrarian. At the same time, those are the ideas that led them to innovative success. And that is what I'm writing about in the book. There is a playbook to becoming successful, which is get on the hamster wheel do the same old thing, work long hours, work very hard, and one day you will be successful. And what I found from my own experience is working hard and working long hours, working you know crazy hours and being on the hamster wheel will certainly get you some success. But if you pause every now and then, takes time for reflective thinking, the ideas, the inspiration that comes forth is probably going to get you much better results than just burning yourself out on the way. And uh, writing a book and getting it published in less than a year is actually a recipe for burnout, as many authors will tell you. So the interesting thing for me was whatever I'm writing about, whatever I'm learning, because I interviewed 30 people, more than 30 people who are very successful in their careers, 
whatever I learned about this journey, I applied. <laughs> and that's been an interesting experience for me to drink my own Kool-Aid. The hamster wheel, right? So many of us are on it and we don't see another way because that's just kind of what's going on around us, particularly uh, in corporate America. So I appreciate the fact that you had the self-awareness to sort of break yourself free and find your own free journey here and now find connections between creation strategy and, and, and turning that into a book and sharing that message with so many others. One operational question I have for you here. So given your schedule, given all these things you have doing, how did you fit this book into your life? You know, 12 months, it's quite a race to get that done in 12 months. How did you find the time? On the one hand, there are a lot of people just double down. You can you can, you can always work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and, and get a book out. But because I was writing the book on the power of thoughtful inaction to get results, I was clearly not going. That would have been very odd for me to burn out while writing this book. <laughs> There are a couple of ideas that would be very ironic. (laughs) Maybe, or maybe I could have written a different book about how to burn out (laughs) in a year. I applied a lot of ideas that I'm writing about in the book. And one of them is actually around laziness and procrastination, which sounds completely counterproductive. When the pressure is on, the old me would have doubled down and committed and, you know, used willpower to get through writing X number of words a day. I used to make a commitment to my editor. I was part of a book writing program. So I had support throughout the time, the the time period. But this was difficult for me to do, but to choose to walk away from a problem I'm trying to sort out that I want to write about and give my mind a break and procrastinate and not make the decision, not write, not be in a hurry to write something. It actually helped me a lot. I have it in me to force myself to do the work. So it was actually hard for me to tell myself, I don't have to finish this today. I can walk away. I can take a break for an hour. I can go for a walk or I can sit there, stare out the window. All sorts of creative ideas come through. Couple of things that I guess were in my favor is I I am what is known as an episodic writer, which means once I start writing, I will write, but I don't start writing until I have some confidence or some set of ideas I want to write about. So the combination of me being a natural episodic writer and giving myself permission to take a break and not force myself, it really did wonders. And as a result of which I when I write, I just write for several hours, maybe a couple of days. And then the rest of the time, I allow myself to think and go about doing other things that I have to do. Uh, and that, in retrospect, has helped me a lot. I really appreciate the fact that you actually lived your thesis as you went through the, the book journey, uh, right? Is it, but what I appreciate about this is there's guidelines, there's structure, and you found your own journey within that and took your own medicine, if you will, to, to get that done. What a, what a great way to think about it. And I really appreciate this concept you shared about giving yourself permission. So many times we think, oh, I, I have to get on the hamster wheel. That's what's happening all around me. And I'm going to do it too. You took that very intentional approach to say, you know what? I need to take a break here. I need to take a pause, reflect on what's happening and go forward. And with that, I think you've written a, a fantastic book to share with the world. In action, rethinking the path to results. So what is this book about, Ginny? What, what do we want to know about the book? The point of the book is simply this, our default formula or playbook when we think of wanting to become successful is if you work hard, you will get there. It is a true statement, hard work will get you there, but I feel not only in the United States, but really everywhere 
in the world where there are ambitious people. We've started interpreting that statement to mean work hard at all costs. Nothing else matters. I've just got to really double down, push myself to get what I want. What the book is saying is, if you want results, whether you want to solve world hunger or you want to make a lot of money for yourself, if there are results that you want, there is an alternative path. Being on the hamster wheel and killing yourself on the way is not the only way. The, the alternate way is give yourself time for reflective thinking. Don't underestimate the power of your own mind to come up with creative solutions. We love listening to gurus and influencers and other successful people on their formula for success, you know, these 10 ways of being successful in social media or marketing. I have so many examples of people who did not follow the established norm, who didn't do what everybody else is doing. They gave themselves time to think about, this is what I want, and I'm going to come up with my own path. The best thing about my own discovery in meeting and interviewing these people and reflecting in my own journey is the ideas you come up with, if you give your mind a break, are going to be original. They're going to work for you. Just because something worked for five other successful people does not mean that applies to you. And that's what I want people to walk away with. One, there is an alternate to the hamster wheel. And the other, the alternative path is going to come from you and nobody else. Finding your own path. I think there's a story in there about happiness and fulfillment. Is there not? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, happiness and fulfillment is a pretty broad subject. And as a practitioner of meditation since 2008, I have spent a lot of time thinking on that topic. In my book, I really talk about there is a result you want. I, I do talk about broadening your goals because I do believe our goals tend to be very narrow in the sense we say, I want a million dollars and then you get a million dollars and you're not really happy. I address in the book the topic of just broaden your goals, make happiness a goal, make relationships a goal. Because for goal-oriented people like myself, whatever goals you set for yourself, you're going to go after it. However, very ambitious people set goals which are very narrow, you know, a startup exit or fundraising of a certain amount. And then they go after it with everything they've got. And then they start neglecting health, relationships, well-being. So one of the things I talk about in the book is just broaden your goal, what I call 360 degree goals, health, relationships, well-being, causes that matter to you, and then whatever else, you know, other material pursuits you've got in mind. And once you've set a broad enough and comprehensive set enough set of goals, then, then let your inspiration drive you. Broaden your goals, think a bit more widely about not just your career and your uh, material ambitions, but your life as a whole. I really appreciate that thinking. And Probably a result of this meditation and this in action that you've taken over time. You know, Jenny, when you think about this story, this thesis you've put out there, you know, why, why do you think you wrote this book? It takes a lot of energy to do it. So it takes great purpose. You know, why, why did you have to bring this book to the world? Interesting question, John. In the middle of the pandemic, I found myself without a job and not a lot to do. Even though I was starting to work with startups, I was doing consulting, I was doing some volunteer work. But like everybody else, I was homebound and I could not find enough to do. There's only so much cooking and cleaning you can do. And the fact of the matter is I hate being in these phases. I do not like sitting around and not having a lot to do. Um, 
in the middle of all of that deep frustration, I was, I was reflecting on my own life and I realized all those nonlinear jumps I was telling you about where I made a pretty significant change in my life. I realized before every big change that I've made in my life, I did go through what I would have called an underproductive slump, which I didn't like being in. But what came out of that period of inactivity was a big jump forward which got me started. The story I've always told about myself is that I'm very action-oriented. I have a bias for action. And in my jobs, that was appreciated because where everybody's a bit paralyzed into inaction, I would be the one to come up with a game plan and execute it. So there was a lot of signaling back from the world that being action-oriented is good. And that's what I told myself. And in the middle of the pandemic, as I was reflecting on my own life, I, I started wondering, have I got it wrong? Is it really those moments of action, the tangible action I can point to that got me the success? Or was it those periods of reflective thinking, which maybe I don't like? Is that what leads to success? And the book started as a question. And then I embarked on a journey to ask other people, look into research, like what, what is all this about? And that is a result. So in many ways, John, I will say I wrote the book for myself. It's self-coaching as much as I truly want to share with all the other people who are ambitious and goal-oriented and are convinced like I was that you got to do this, that, and the other to get there. And the whole point of the book is not really. There is an alternative and you don't have to burn yourself out on the way to being successful. We do. We're such a bias for action for so many of us. And I think we're sort of trained and conditioned to do it. I can't help but wonder as you've had these inflection points where it, it created extreme, you know, sort of inactive periods in your life. How did you maintain your calmness? Because I'm sure around you, you heard these voices like, oh, Ginny, what are you doing? You know, why aren't you doing this or that or have you know figured out your job yet? How, how did you keep your own identity and self-confidence through those periods, you think? I'm going to share a couple of conversations I had with people I interviewed and even in book talks. So there's there are a few people I interviewed who they have certain techniques, like this one Dutch entrepreneur. He accidentally discovered this thing called mind wandering as a choice. He was early for a client pitch and client pitches are his bread and butter, right? That's where the rubber meets the road for him. And he happened to be early and he had an hour to spare. So he walked around. It was a new city. He walked around and he let his mind wander. And I won't get into the whole story, but he was amazingly relaxed in this client pitch where usually he would be very tense, very mission driven, like I, I got to land this deal. And his whole behavior was very different. Of course, he got the business. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sharing the story. But the thing, the interesting thing is he now employs that as a technique before all his client pitches, all his, his entire team, all his employees do the same. And this, uh, he's been doing this for, say, about eight or nine years. And in my interview with him, he said, you know, I still feel guilty about taking that time before a client meeting because I can't bill it to anybody, right? This is on me. And I also feel guilty that maybe I should be doing something instead. That feeling, that voice in your head that compels you to do something never goes away, it turns out, for people who have... They have managed to ignore that voice, but the voice never goes away. And that is true for me. The voice never goes away. The amount of beating up I do on myself, like I should be doing something. And that is true for everyone. 
in one of my book talks, I was sharing, you know, this, these stories and insights. And this woman said, you're right. I know I should take a break. I know when I should take a break. I know when I should say no, but I feel guilty. So the moral of the story is you are going to feel guilty. The voice in your head is not going to go away. What happens with practice now that I've made a commitment that I'm not going to jump into irrational action or urgent, desperate action. And that's a commitment I made. So the voice can say whatever the voice wants to say, (laughs) but I'm not going to do it. An interesting observation I made, uh, and I was thinking about it a couple of days ago, it, it seems like on this journey, because I'm really practicing what I preach, it sounds like the voice has become louder. Whereas the reality is it's not the voice became louder. It's just that I'm not listening to it and I'm observing it rather than just barreling down the action path. Uh, So the good news, bad news is, sure, you'll feel guilty about taking the break or stopping or pausing. But if you find the confidence and if you know that this is going to lead to better results, then you'll find a way to not jump into action either. And it sounds to me like the confidence comes from being curious, exploring, trying new things, and finding a way to success, but through this taking time to think and reflect on it. But what a beautiful way to frame that. I love, I really like that. You know, Jenny, when you think about this book and the 12 months you spent and, and really the lifetime of insights you gathered to, to have this book come to reality, you know, what do you think was the hardest part about writing the book for you? There are a couple of things that I will say helped me because of my business background. For example, I'll talk about what was good and what then got in the way. So I know how to do research, and that was very helpful because writing a book requires research. On the flip side, a book is a lot more abstract compared to a business plan or a strategic roadmap. Besides, I've been doing business planning and growth for a while, which means I kind of know my way around. Whereas in book writing, I think I know my way around. I have the confidence, but I actually don't. So the combination of the fact that book writing is completely right-brained and left-brained at the same time, it's, it's this weird mix, which I had not experienced before, which can be very unsettling. And the one thing I'll recommend to everybody listening to this or reading this is get someone to coach you, get a support structure, a support team on the journey and the support team is not just your friends because they might not know how to support you. I've had moments of, I don't know how to articulate what I'm upset about or where I'm stuck. And it helped me to have an editor and I was part of a book writing program. So I had weekly meetings with my editor almost throughout the journey. And I had other coaches I had access to. So there was a team of people I could go to and say, I just feel weird and I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what is going on. Like, can you diagnose this problem for me? So that was, that required a lot of trust and faith in the process and faith in myself. When I first started this journey, I had lots of reasons not to write a book. I was convinced I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a writer. I've written articles for business, but I'm not a storyteller. The fact is uh, you don't have to be. It's like any other skill. It can be acquired. It took, it took something for me to just trust that I'll figure this out. It's not rocket science. This, this crazy right brain, left brain journey, right? And how to navigate that thing. But it sounds like the structure of the coaching really 
and the support of the community really helped to pay off for you. I really appreciate you sharing that. It, you made me think of uh, someone who sent me a note while I was writing my book, someone I hadn't talked to in years. And he sent me a note that said, I can't believe you're writing a book as someone I worked with for a bunch of years on Wall Street. And he said, John, I've been writing a book for five years now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't gotten past chapter one or two. He's, you know, how did you get this thing done? And uh, my answer would be something very similar. The, the structure really helped it along. That's amazing. I remember hearing a metric that only 2% of aspiring authors actually publish a book. Even if it's not 2%, I do know it's a very small percent because it's, it can be very intimidating. It can be a very foreign journey. And in that, I got lucky because I signed up for a book writing program, which is actually affiliated with a publisher. And because I got the coaching from the book writing program, I knew early on that the chances are very high that my manuscript will be accepted by the public. And, and I do recommend that, you know, everybody should get some help or the other. And there's, there's quite a lot of coaches and book writing programs out there that are very good. No doubt about it, right? And, and the, the structure of the coaching is such a big part of it. You know, you've spent so much of your life meditating, thinking, learning, and growing. Certainly a book journey is a, a big exercise in that. You know, what do you think you've learned further about yourself through this creative journey? What has reflection and inaction taught you through this, this part of your, your path? When I was uh, researching for the book, I wanted to write something about the impact of non-activity on the brain, because I wanted to understand like what exactly goes on in my brain when I'm, say, going for a walk or meditating or something or the other. I fully expected that my, my search would give me some articles on meditation and I would write about it because, and of course, I'm a practitioner. Imagine my surprise when I came across neuroscience research articles that talked about mind-wandering and its advantages to driving creative thinking. Now, as a meditation practitioner, I have always thought of mind wandering as a negative behavioral quality. It is the mind that goes from past to future, never stays in the present moment, and meditation has always been presented as an antidote. So to me, mind wandering is bad. Meditation is good. But I read the research, I mean, there was an American neurologist, Marcus Reichel, who actually studied this and wrote a paper back in 2000. And he actually studied parts of the brain that light up. The theory behind mind wandering is when you are not focused on a task, your eyes are not reading, your ears are not listening, your brain is then free to connect the dots on all the information you've been collecting and come up with those aha moments. Now, this is not going to sound very foreign to you because there are people who tell me I, have, I get my best showers, uh, my best thoughts in the shower. The question is that is spontaneous. Can you now leverage mind wandering as a technique to make room for those kinds of thoughts? And the answer is yes. So then I thought, oh, great. Let me try mind wandering. Like, what does that even mean? And Here's the thing, even though I have a meditation practice, which means I'm comfortable sitting there doing nothing, but I have a practice, I have a technique to sit there with my eyes open and let my mind think was harder than I thought. <laughs> I mean, my hand, it's almost like my hand is a robot is going to my phone because it wants to scroll on social media. It was amazing in spite of me being an experienced meditator when I wanted to try this other technique. I actually, it was not that natural. I did it and now I actually have made that part of my practice as well. And the biggest thing I have learned is 
the same thing I'm writing about in the book. We start believing things because everybody is saying meditation is good and meditation is the right thing to do. But I do know a lot of people find meditation very intimidating, very difficult to keep up with the practice. There are other ways. Mind wandering, which has always been labeled as a villain, is actually, if leveraged correctly, if harnessed, can actually let you come up with ideas as well. So what I learned about myself is I still have this tendency to want to do something to keep myself busy. Like it's it's an, it's an a practice. I think of this whole journey, not as a, once you get there, you're there, but as an ongoing practice. I can't help but wonder our, I think most upbringings, right? I can't imagine a time in my life where my parents said to me, go sit in your room and ponder for a bit, right? You know, it was always go do this, go clean your room, go Correct. sweep the garage out or whatever it is. And so I wonder how much, to what degree we're sort of conditioned from very early on for this activity. Because, and, and it's interesting, this, this mind wandering concept you talk about, because, right, we all think about results takes action. And this very much is strategic in action. What else do we want to know about strategic in action? What is, what is your thinking around that? See, the title of my book is in forward slash action. That's how it's written. And the subtitle is rethinking the path to results. And I was thinking about the title, what I wanted to communicate, what the book is really about. I'm not advocating inaction for the sake of it. I'm not talking about stop and smell the roses and keep smelling the roses the rest of your life. What I'm talking about is leveraging moments of inaction as a choice so that the right action or the inspired action, the inspired thought comes through. Then, of course, you do what you have to do. I mean, we are, it's not possible for us to stay in, in action all the time. So the, the point of the book is you don't need to follow a formula. You don't need somebody else to tell you what to do if you give yourself your mind a break. And the break could be literally a few seconds of silence in a conversation. I have a whole chapter on the power of silence in meetings, in negotiations, where if you just stop, even for a few seconds in the middle of a confrontational argument, your mind will come up with, you'll observe things. You'll, you'll just notice things differently. So the, the inaction I'm talking about could be a few seconds it could be a taking a break from your career. A lot of people are resigning because they're fed up. They have come to realize how difficult, how, how much they have been on the hamster wheel. They've decided to take a break. So inaction could be walking away from your career for a little while and figuring out what is it that you really want to do. So the whole point of the book is not inaction for the sake of it, but inaction to lead to inspired action. Thoughtfulness, coming up with a better plan, giving yourself the space and permission to connect the dots. I, I really appreciate that. And when I think about my own career, you know, I spent you know over two decades on Wall Street. Literally, the most successful concept I ever came up with was while I was driving, just in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, right. driving along, and I was trying to figure out a problem uh, that I was dealing with in a leadership issue, trying to help my team solve an issue, and that's where it came to me. And so, it was, talk about mind wandering. It was very much an example of that. So. It, it's fascinating to hear your concept is, has had an impact on my life before I even knew it. Uh, so I love yeah, that. Yeah, you, you kind of accidentally discovered that. Now imagine strategically harnessing that moment that occurred in the car when you were just, you weren't doing it, right? You just accidentally stumbled into it. But you can now harness that. That can become part of your strategy where you give yourself 10 minutes a day 
and don't do anything. Don't even try to read up on your news. Just literally stare out the window and see what happens and give it a try. I'd love to hear how that goes for you. You know, I, I, I've been, I think I've been doing it my whole life, but the structure sounds more useful. I appreciate that. You know, when you think about business leaders in the world today, right, they're always, it feels like we're often moving from crisis to crisis and there's always, you know, something burning that we have to go uh -huh. fix and immediate action is often needed. You know, can you apply these principles to crisis management? Crisis management is, is a word that brings to mind action, right? That is the expectation. That is a norm. You got to jump into action. This is not the time to become paralyzed, <laughs> Uh, you got to be there. And of course, the pandemic and, and you know, the other socioeconomic movements that we've been experiencing is, is spurred a lot of action out there and a lot of misguided action in some cases. I'm going to share a story of an interview uh, I did with a gentleman. His name is Singh. I've known him for about 15 years. And when this incident occurred, he was the CEO of a large global medical imaging company. And he was informed that a child had died on a machine made by his company. Now in healthcare or any business, they have a playbook for crises that are likely to happen. And a child, a patient dying is likely to happen, which means they do have a very well-established playbook. And what Singh shared with me is the playbook is lawyer up, call an emergency staff meeting, issue a gag order, you know, like one, two, three, like every, everybody knows this is what you gotta do. Instead of doing any of that, Singh decided to go for a walk and he walked for two hours. And his reasons, as he told me, were I wanted to become conversant with the situation. I didn't want to jump into action. He wanted to reflect on what just happened. And at the end of the walk, he decided to fly to where the incident had occurred. And this decision came from his principles of what would I do for the family? What would I do for the patient's family? Not as a CEO, but as a human being. He flew to where the incident occurred. In the meantime, the hospital had found out that the cause, the root cause of the child dying was a cardiac arrest. It was not the fault of the machine or the company. Now, what would a CEO typically do under the circumstance? Thank goodness, I'm out of here. I got a company to run. But because he had flown there to be the, with the family, he stayed, he condoled with them, he supported them met the single mother and asked her at some point, would you consider sharing your story with my team? Which she did. And she shared her story with a thousand of Singh's employees in the town hall. Now imagine these employees who deal with producing you know, equipment all day long have heard a human story, the human side of the work they do. And they were so inspired that they instituted a whole bunch of quality improvement programs. And as Singh told me, that one event raise the quality consciousness of the company more than any amount of training. Think of the series of very nonlinear events I've just told you. The genesis of it all was this one person, instead of springing into action and playing defense, getting ready to fight, he took two hours, which in the bigger scheme of things is not much. He had confidence in his team that if a journalist calls, my team will handle it. And those two hours gave him the inspiration to take actions on what really matters from its principle. Healthcare companies routinely market, we are there for the patients, right? We are here to support you. But imagine how, how loudly his actions spoke. And where did that action come from? From that two-hour moment of reflection, like, what should I really do here? And to me, that was an amazing story of 
what an amazing set of results came that came out of it that he could not have imagined. Why? Because he took he took a break. He cons- he thought about it. He thought he paused to reflect on the situation before jumping into action. What a powerful example of strategic inaction and setting a great and just really extraordinary example for his team to follow behind. And the fact that they were inspired by this and ended up improving so many other things they maybe hadn't even thought about yet or had their focus on. What a great leadership and powerful story. One of the many from the book here. You know, in the midst of those types of challenges, we we often have goals that we have to face, right? And I, th- an argument you make in the book is that our our goal setting process is flawed, right? That can lead mm-hmm. to to wrong actions. You know, what do you, what what is strategic connection taught you about setting better goals? How do we do that? A simple idea that I've been employing myself is to broaden your goals. I'll tell you from my own example. In the early days of my meditation practice, I, I've, I'm very goal oriented, and I used to write annual goals. And now I've actually written some for 2022. And I would write whatever I want, right? Goals by definition are aspirational. I want this job, a promotion or what have you. I would not write goals about my meditation practice because I was satisfied with it or my relationship with my family, because I'm I'm lucky to have a good relationship with my family. What I noticed though, when the going gets tough and the going will get tough, I would then compromise on my meditation practice because I'm chasing this goal. And I realize that is a problem for a lot of people who are very ambitious. And the reason why we burn ourselves out is if we are, because we are chasing goals, which were very narrow to begin with. It doesn't occur to us to write a goal around health unless we are sick, then we have a goal around getting better. So that's when I started doing what I call 360-degree goals. There are four or five dimensions of my life that matter to me. Well-being, community, relationships, career, of course. And for some people, their cause. There's a cause that they care for a lot. And now I write goals under all those dimensions. So for example, a standing goal every year is to stay committed to my daily meditation practice. This way, as I'm planning my life and I'm allocating my mental resources, This is not something to give up on because that is also a goal. It's a very subtle switch. But if you reflect on your own life, like how many people often say, you know, you got what you, I got what I wanted, but I still wasn't happy. Why is that? Because you didn't, you didn't list down things that would make you happy. All these other aspects of life that actually do make us happy. So a simple solution to our tendency of setting very narrow goals is write down the four or five dimensions of life that matter to you and write goals for all of them. Broadening your viewpoint. I love this. And then giving yourself the permission to have some mind wandering, be maybe a little bit lazy, as you call it, and procrastinate. Maybe make that a goal. <laughs> like I'm going to be lazy this year. I like that. I like that. So we, we, we've heard about how all these things can have such a positive impact for so many, but you know, why do they get such a bad reputation? Why do we, why do we have this bias against these things, do you think? You know, there are some concepts such as when I was researching laziness and procrastination, there is so much negative stigma attached to it. Same for mind wandering. In fact, when I, you might want to give it a try. If you, if you Google procrastination is, and there are autocomplete suggestions, and some of them are pretty out there. And one of them is procrastination is a sin. Wow. I mean, we make this stuff really bad, don't we? we? We assign moral and ethical implications 
to these words. And yet, if you speak to successful people, they procrastinate routinely. So Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist and an author. He's written many books. And he actually conducted research on successful people for his book. And the conclusion he came to is that those who are really wildly successful, who really whose ideas change the world, they choose to procrastinate. And he uses the word moderate procrastination, which I think means they are, I think what he's implying is they are not helpless. They're not paralyzed into inaction, but they're making explicit choices to not do something because the world is demanding that they do. They do things on their own terms. The same with laziness. You don't have to do everything on your own. Delegation at the top leadership levels, the quality that others look for, the reason why you get to the top is because you know how to delegate. You know your strengths, you, you know your weaknesses, you don't take it upon yourself to do everything. The one thing I've learned from founders and entrepreneurs whom I uh, mentor and coach is the one realization they come to is I can't do everything and I, I shouldn't because I'll burn myself out. Laziness is a form of delegation and outsourcing or choosing not to do it because not everything needs to. It's like the, the decision making around, is this really needed? So I think it's unfortunate that we have the stigma attached to all of these concepts, but those people who realize that the very qualities can be harnessed, they are the ones that go on to become successful. So I'm hoping more and more people understand that there are two sides to that equation. There is, of course, the downside, but I'm not talking about being paralyzed into procrastination. I'm talking about strategically leveraging these qualities. You can't help me but think about my own journey. And I think of some of the decisions I've made in my life and my career that have been the most painful for me. I didn't realize it till, you know, I dove into action and 30 minutes later had this realization that, oh, I wish I would have thought about this kind of stuff a little bit right. more tightly. And had I taken that extra hour, I probably maybe would have saved myself some pain and suffering in life. But this is this is how we grow, isn't it? That's how you learn. Yep. Uh, you know, speaking of growth and your book and this journey of strategic inaction, you know, how has this book changed you? And, you know, have there been any unexpected positive results for, out of it for, for you? Yeah, there were all sorts of, uh, we, we make up all these stories to tell ourselves. I am an introvert. I am not a storyteller. I am strategic, but I'm not detail oriented. You know, we, we say these things to ourselves. They are all myths. I had a lot of stories to say about myself, especially around, I'm not a storyteller. I'm not creative. And because the book, the book I'm publishing is through a hybrid publisher, I get to participate in the creative aspect of the book, such as book cover design, which I was very convinced I can't because I am not a graphics person. I don't even know how to do metaphors, right? What I've learned about myself is, is I, and I went through this journey in the early years of my meditation practices, I became aware how much I limit myself by the choice of language I use to describe myself. And my big discovery is, oh my goodness, I can write a book and I can write and publish a book in a year. And if I can do it, anybody can. And that's been quite quite an amazing discovery. What an uh, extraordinary outcome. I, I really like this theme you've had throughout your life of strategic thinking, taking time to pause, be a bit more thoughtful, give yourself a break. And here you are at the, 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 this I'm going to call it a pinnacle here. You know, after all this yeah. work you've done, you've got this book you're bringing to the world. And, 
you know, so many wonderful thoughts in here. And I want to share a quick quote from that you received from the book. I thought was pretty brilliant from Dory Clark, uh, a global thinker in Thinkers 50, a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She said, these days we're all too busy pushing forward and driving results, but Ginny Apple provides a fresh perspective. In some cases, taking action might not be the solution, but the problem. Read this book to discover an empowering framework to help you make smart decisions to get the best results. I mean, what a great capturing of the quote here from Dory Clark. How did you convince her to write that beautiful quote for your book or find her to do that? A series of um, serendipitous events. (laughs) I spoke to somebody who mentioned Dory Clark's books and her books are all about diversifying your career interests. So she's really talking about in the old nine to five world is done. So take charge of your own career and come up with, you know, different things to do. And it just so happened she was going to speak at an event at a club that where I'm a member. So I went to listen to her speak and I really liked her. And normally I would almost never write to a stranger asking them for a testimonial but I, I really liked her work very much. And I liked the way she presented her stories in this particular talk that I went to. So I gave it some thought. Like my first reaction would be like, well, of course, I'm not going to write to a stranger. She's just going to ignore me. So I, I considered that. It's almost like I leveraged inaction even in getting myself to take the action. And I wrote to her and I was very candid. I was like, you know, you don't know me. And I'm sure you're very busy because she is uh, doing a book tour for uh, for latest book. But I would love to just hear back from you. And a testimonial would be great. She agreed. So this is a person you knew of them. They had no idea who you were, but through this journey and a very authentic outreach and some reflection and strategic connection, mm-hmm. found a way to getting this lovely quote for her. I mean, what a great story. You know, Jenny, when you think about inaction, your book, what's a key lesson or, or message you'd like readers to take away from your, your story? The hamster wheel is not the only path to success. In fact, it's only you're just going to kill yourself on the way. There is a better way to success where you're not burning out on the way. It's it's more fun. It's more inspired. And that way, the, that way will come to you when you take a little bit of a break. Give yourself a pause, reflect and trust that the inspired thought will come to you. And that's what I want people to take away from this. Have some faith, take a little break, reflect on what could happen. And I really appreciate the fact that you're a living example of everything you've talked about in your book and how you've gone about it and, and delivered results. What a great story to share with the world. Ginny, if people want to learn more about you, your book, where, where might they go to find you? Uh, I'm fairly easy to find. My first and last name combination is pretty unique. So it's J-I-N-N-Y-U-P-P-A-L. I'm at Ginny Opal. LinkedIn, Twitter would be excellent choices. And then I do write a newsletter where I share excerpts from my book writing journey and also my experiments, some of which did not work out. So, and all the archives of the, the newsletters are, are on it. And the newsletter is on geniopal.substack.com. So those are all the different ways to keep up with me. And I do like to hear from people. So I would love to hear uh, you know, from your listeners and readers on what of this resonated? Like, does this make sense? I've had people quite disagree. Or, or it just doesn't make sense. This is not how the way work, the world operates. So whether you're in agreement or disagreement, I would love to hear from you. What a, uh, what a great offer to the world. Come at me with your positives and your critiques. I mean, what a beautiful way to go through the world and life that you've gone upon and, and how thoughtful you and, and kind of you to share this journey with the world. Strategic in action, taking a time to pause, it can have positive results and, and to get you to the goals that you want. 
Ginny, thank you so much for being on the show here today. Thank you so much for having me, John. This was so much fun. The, the pleasure is all mine, though. In action, Rethinking the Path to Results will be available this December 2021, wherever you find books online. I'm your host of the creator community, John Saunders. Keep moving forward.